We are doing a series on the final events of Bible prophecy, and I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. This is a two-part series that I'm going to do on the <clears throat> seven last plagues. <clears throat> and today, <clears throat> I want to ask you to look with me, starting from verse 12. Revelation, chapter 16 starting from verse 12. And I want to ask you to look with me at the sixth plague. Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. And here's what the Bible says. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And then verse 15 says, Behold, I come as a what? As a thief, blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk, what? Naked, and they see his shame. Verse 16 says, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, what? Armageddon. Now, there's an announcement that I need to make. I will be out of district, which is just an official way of saying I will be on vacation from June 1 through 12, okay? And then what is happening on the Sabbath of June 18? Does anybody remember from our announcements this morning? What's happening June 18? Camp meeting. And I cannot emphasize this enough. This year's speaker lineup is dynamite. I hope that everyone will plan to be at Blue Mountain Academy on the 18th. Just a quick synopsis. David Ashrick is... uh, is as, as Diego mentioned, is a prominent Adventist minister who is uh, a great speaker. I actually went to school with him, believe it or not. But anyway, um, he is going to be the featured speaker for camp meeting. But did you notice that on the speaker roster, they had Dr. Eric Walsh? Did you see that? Now, if you don't know, Dr. Eric Walsh was actually <clears throat> the director for public health for... I I hope I'm saying this right, like San Diego County. And then he got fired because when he was invited to speak for a graduation at a public university in California, they found out that in some of his previous sermons, he had been talking about the Bible stance against homosexuality. Now, you know, in today's, you know, woke culture, whatever you want to call it, that didn't fly. So they... They cut him from being the speaker, and then he got fired. Well, he got rehired in the state of Georgia. I believe that he became the director for public health in, I think, Atlanta or some county over there. But then he got fired again, okay? But he has an amazing testimony of how God provided and led for him during these difficult times when If you're a public figure and you stand for truth, you might get persecuted, you know? So I really want to challenge you because 
if you go online, he has some great sermons and testimonies, and it's really, really powerful. So I just wanted to say that. But what I also wanted to say is that this is a two-part series. So I will not be here in the next three weeks, but God willing, I will be with you again on the 25th, and on the 25th, I hope to finish this series, okay? So the seven last plagues are poured out according to the Bible at a specific time. I want you to come with me to Revelation chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. I want you to notice what it says. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to me, uh, sorry, saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the what? The mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Now, I want to ask you a question. Right now, what is the new outbreak that's kind of captured the attention of the world? What is it? It's monkeypox, okay? Have you heard this? Monkeypox, right? And that there are people out there right now that are saying, hey, this is like one of the seven last plagues, okay? But if you read the Bible carefully, I think you have already figured out that the plagues are only poured out after the what? The mark of the beast. Does that make sense? So even if, even if you know, the ocean turns red with an algae bloom, that's not the seven plagues. Are you with me? And even though the sun is, you know, scorching, like I think in e- India, ha- they had at least that heat, it was a devastating heat wave, right? But that is not the seven plagues. The seven plagues don't fall until after the mark of the beast. Does that make sense? If that's clear, can you say amen? Okay, so we're together. All right. So now, if you remember from several Sabbaths ago, and I realize that it's hard for me to pinpoint which one because you had different speakers each Sabbath. You know this, that the Sunday law, it comes in four stages, okay? Four stages. So what do I mean by that? It's not just all of a sudden, you know, there's a Sunday law. It's first, it's don't work on Sunday. And then it's, there's going to be, you know, no buying or selling, right? And then they're going to encourage you to worship on Sunday. And then finally, it's going to be if you don't worship on Sunday, you're going to be killed, okay? So this is the four stages. In the midst of this, there is this warning from Jesus. Come with me, please, to verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Now let's pause. Have have you ever been robbed before? Have any of you ever been robbed? I have. In fact, the the church that I last pastored, it got robbed on a big scale. I'll tell you a true story. They broke into the church. And we had a big 65-inch flat-screen TV, okay? Now, I don't know if you know this, but technology has come a long ways. Now, this is like 10 years ago, okay? But 10 years ago, a 65-inch TV, it wasn't this cool LED like that's this thin. It was something called plasma, okay? And I don't know if you know, but those plasma TVs that were 65 inches, they weighed like 100 pounds, okay? And so you know what happened? The thieves, they took the TV off the wall, but they couldn't carry it. <laughs> and so they just left it there right underneath where it was. 
in the fellowship hall. And this is the thing about thieves. Thieves don't tell you when they're coming. Does that make sense? They don't send you an email. They don't call you or give you a text message or send you a message on Snapchat or Instagram. They just come whenever you don't expect. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, I come as a thief. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. He said, blessed is he that what? Watcheth and what else? Keepeth his what? Garments. What a strange expression. Jesus did not say, blessed is he that is reading the Bible or praying. He didn't say that. Did you notice that? Now, those are good things to do. Please understand. And you'll soon see that, in essence, this is what he's saying. But make no mistake, Jesus gives this kind of cryptic warning. He says, blessed is he that watches and keeps his what? His garments. Now, I think most of you are aware, but just in case you're not, come over with me to Revelation chapter 19, if you will. Come with me to Revelation chapter 19. And I want to ask you to look with me at verse 8. <laughs> Revelation chapter 19, look with me at verse 8. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about God's people here, the wife of the Lamb. It says, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the what? The righteousness of the saints. Now, I think most of you know this. In Scripture, symbolically, your garment is a symbol of righteousness. If that's clear, can you say amen? Okay, and you know this. This is easy to understand. If it's the righteousness of Jesus, it's clean and white. And if it's not, if it's your own righteousness, then it's like compared to what? I heard someone say it, filthy rags, right? You know that. Your own right is like filthy rags, filthy garments, right? Okay. So Jesus is giving this warning. He says, blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments. Did you see that? Okay. So this story or this warning is actually connected to a story in the book of Mark. And I want to invite you to turn over to the book of Mark. And I want to ask you to look with me at chapter 14. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 14. And I want to ask you to look with me at verse 50. Mark chapter 14. And we're looking at verse 50. Now, I'm going to just tell you what day and when this is. This is Thursday. It's Thursday evening, and we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. They just had the Last Supper. And now Jesus is in the garden with his disciples. And then we read in verse 50 that they all forsook him. Now, the first thing that I want to share with you is that the word all there does not refer to people. Because in the garden at that time, on that Thursday, three categories of people. There were disciples of Jesus who had just come from the Last Supper. Does that make sense? 
And then there was, there was a mob with soldiers that had come with the priests. Are you with me? And then there's one more person, and I want you to look with me at verse 51. The Bible says, and there followed him a what? A certain young man having a what? A linen cloth cast about his what? Naked body, and the young men laid hold on him. Verse 52 says, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them. How? Naked. Okay. Now, I think most of you can see how this is connected to Revelation 16. Because in both stories, Jesus said, watch and keep your what? Garment. And this man in the story, he didn't watch. And as a result, he fled away and he was naked. Okay. Now, let's review what I was saying earlier. In the Garden of Gethsemane that night, there were three categories of people. There were the disciples. There was the mob. The mob consisted of Roman soldiers, um, people, and then the priests. So there was this other group. And then there's this third category. And this third category is this man. Now, the reason I say he's a third category is because I think you know that in verse 50, the word all refers to who? Who does the word all refer to in verse 50? Who does it refer to? To the disciples. Does that make sense? It doesn't refer to people because there was still the mob, the priests, the high priests. They were still there. Does that make sense? So verse 50, 50, 50 is referring to the disciples. It says they all forsook him and fled. If that's clear, can you say amen? But I want you to know something. The, the man in verse 50, 50, 51, the man in verse 51 he was not part of the mob that came to capture Jesus. Do you know how I know that? I want you to think. How do I know that the man in verse 51 was not part of the mob? To how do I know that? Well, I want you to think. The mob, they tried to capture him. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? The mob tried to catch him, which means that they did not see this man as one of their own. If that's clear, can you say amen? Okay, so I, I, you just have to understand this because this is how I'm going to make my first point. Now, I want you to just, let's, let's review. In verse 50, all the disciples left. And in verse 51, the mob tried to capture this man, which means that he is not one of the disciples, but he is not part of the mob that came to trap Jesus. Are you with me? What does that mean? Well, if I could say this another way, the disciples were those people that left everything to follow Jesus. And the mob were those people that were against Jesus. The man in verse 51 he is not one of those people that gave up everything to follow Jesus, but he's not an enemy of Jesus. He's what we would call somewhere in between. Are you with me? And I want to make the first point, and it's very simple. Jesus said that at the end of time, there will be people that are not hot and they're not cold. You know what they are? They're warm. 
Now, I got to tell you, I've experienced this firsthand. You know, when you're thirsty, me personally, I do not like ice cold water. Because, you know, in our water fountains, and if you ever drink water from a fountain, you know, and for me, that's uncomfortable. But I tell you what, I definitely prefer that. I definitely prefer that to just warm water. Are you with me? Warm water, it, it's gross. You can taste it, actually. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, folks, I just want to say this because we all understand this story in the context of our setting in this modern day. And that's that we know people that are on fire for Jesus. We know people like that. And we know people that just don't have any interest in religion. The problem is that most Christians, they fall right where this man falls, which means they haven't given up everything to follow Jesus, but yet they're not part of the group that hates Jesus. They're just kind of in between. I want to ask you, if you were there in the crowd that day in the garden, what party would you be in? Would you have been one of the disciples? And I have to admit, the disciples, they didn't do a good job. They were afraid and they ran away. I mean, that's not an example of sterling courage, you know. But would you have been in the group that had, you know, would you have been part of the group that came to, to trap Jesus? Probably not because you're in church. But maybe you would have been one of the people that the mob realized, hey, that's not a disciple, but he's not with us. And this is where I want to challenge us because Jesus actually said to his church of Laodicea, he said, I would that you were either hot or cold. Now, I want to make a point here. I understand why Jesus says, I wish you were hot. I understand that because a person who's hot, it means they're on fire. They love Jesus. They want to do whatever Jesus wants them to do. But I thought to myself, why does Jesus say, you know, I, I would rather that you were hot or cold? And, you know, it dawned on me, when someone is cold, if you reject Christ and you live in the world, at some point you come to this realization, nothing in this world can satisfy the emptiness of your heart. Does that make sense? When you're out in the world and you don't care about God and you're, you know, let's say you're partying, you're smoking, drinking, you're, you know, being promiscuous, you're doing all these things. At some point, you recognize there is no real satisfaction in any of these activities. And that's when your heart is open to truth. Does that make sense? There's more hope for someone who's out there that doesn't even come to church that is completely, totally swallowed up in the world there's really more hope for someone like that than someone who's in the church but has one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Does that make sense? And I know some of you are thinking, that doesn't sound right. Isn't it good to just come? The truth is Jesus said it. He said, I would rather that you were hot or cold. So it's not me that's saying that's Jesus saying it. Does that make sense? Now look with me at verse 51 again. There followed him a certain young man. I'm going to just tell you that Bible scholars believe that this was Mark, the one who's writing the book. Now, whether that's true or not is not important. But I think you can understand this. If you were the, if you were the author of the book and you had to tell your story, you would probably put like, there was this guy. You wouldn't probably put your name. Does that make sense? So here is Mark. 
or let's just say that here's this young man, and the Bible says that he had a linen cloth cast about his naked body. Now, I'm going to tell you that if you read the Bible and you read Leviticus, the Israelites, they didn't just wear like a robe and they were naked underneath. No, they actually had what we call in our modern language undergarment. Did you know that? They had like, uh, you know, this, these things that they wore underneath. So this is what I, uh, like, I'm going to give you a probable scenario. This young man heard that Jesus was in the garden. And so in the dark, he fumbles around, he gets his coat, and he just puts it on. You know, he doesn't bother to try to get dressed. And, you know, I, I want you to notice something. It says that he had the linen cloth, but how was he wearing it? Look closely. What does it say? Did you see that? It says it was cast about. It's like he got up, and then it just like, like, you know, have you heard the expression, I just threw something on? Have you heard that? That's like what he did. He just like threw it on, but he didn't like secure it. Like, I, I don't think they had buttons back then, but I know that they had a way that you could gird up your clothing. Like, you know, they had a way that you could secure it. This guy didn't do that. Now, I have to explain something here because this is important to the symbolism. In the Bible, being naked is a symbol or it's symbolic of sin. Does that make any sense to you? Let's review. When was the first time the word naked is ever used in the Bible? When? In the Garden of Eden. Now, I want to be clear. Most people have the idea that when God made Adam and Eve, and you see this in pictures, that he just made them naked. That's actually not correct. He made them, and then he clothed them with garments, but not like regular garments that we know, okay? But he did clothe them. So they weren't naked in the traditional sense. Are you with me? But the problem is that after they sinned, that divine covering disappeared. And the Bible says that the man and the woman, they realized that they were what? Naked. So in Scripture, being naked is equated with being sinful. Does that make sense? And I want to just point this truth out to you. The only thing that covers our sin is the righteousness that Jesus provides. Does that make sense? Every one of us in here, from me all the way, you know, to every single person, every one of us has sin in our past. Isn't that right? And the truth is that that sin is ugly. It's an, these are ugly sins. The only thing that covers it is not that you came to church on Sabbath. Does that make sense? I want to be clear. No thing that you ha can ever do can ever cover your sin. You know, some people think, I did this bad thing, so I'm going to give extra offering at church. That doesn't work. Like, that, that, God can't be bought. You can't try to be nice in order to make up for what you've done. And, you know, I think couples, if you're married, couples try to do this. Like, if you get into an argument, next thing you know, your wife makes your favorite meal. Look, that works maybe in a marriage, but the truth is that in real life, in heaven and, and earth, that doesn't work. You can't make a nice meal for God. Does it make sense? The only thing that can cover your sin is if you pray and ask God, please forgive me 
then God provides you with the righteousness of Jesus. If that's clear, can you say amen? All right, but now watch this. The Bible says in verse 51, and this is very interesting. It says, the young men laid hold on him. Okay, now I want you to, I want you to just picture this in your mind. So here's this young man. He, he's, hey, Jesus is in the garden. Oh, let's go. So he gets on his clothes. He just throws it on, runs to the garden. The mob sees him. And the Bible says that the young men, they grabbed him. Now, he has two choices. I want you to think about what choice he has. Two choices. Let's review the choices. What are the choices? He can stay in the garden, right? If he stays with Jesus, what could happen? He, he, he might suffer. He, he could get persecuted. He, he might die, right? But if he stays with Jesus, you know what the advantage is? He gets to keep his garment. Do you get that? Or what's the other option? Yeah, he can run away. But if he runs away, he has to sacrifice his garment. And I want you to know something. Every day, you have these exact two choices. Every day. I'm going to give you an example. You get an offer. You get a job offer. And the job offer is this. You get paid this salary, but great salary. You have to work on Sabbath. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think. You have two choices, right? You could get the job, right? You can get the job, but you have to sacrifice something. Because you understand this, right? If you take that job, you will be breaking God's what? Commandments, and you lose the garment. Does that make sense? Or you could stay with Jesus, but if you stay with Jesus, you might have to suffer a little. You might not get paid as much as you wanted to get paid. Does that make sense? And I can't tell you how many times this same scenario gets put. You, you name anything. Look, you get into a relationship, okay? And this person, this woman is not a believer. This man is not a believer. You have two choices. You can stay with the person, but then you have to compromise your principles. Does that make sense? Or you could stay with Jesus, but you might suffer a little bit. Does that make sense? Now, all I'm trying to show you is that this man's story has the same principles that every one of us faces. And that is, if you want to keep your garment and stay with Jesus, there could be some suffering involved. And by the way, I think that's deliberate. The man is mentioned as being young. And do you know who grabbed him? It wasn't the high priest. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. Do you know who grabbed him? Who grabbed him? The young men. You know, I think that the greatest temptation comes from our own peers. Does that make sense? It would be hard for me to tempt, you know, Dick to do something sinful because Dick and I are a different generation. Does that make sense? But it wouldn't be hard. I mean, it would, and I shouldn't use myself as the tempter, but you get the point, right? Temptation comes from our peers most often. Are you, does that make sense? Right? It comes from our peers. So what, is it, what does it say he did? The Bible says he left the linen cloth and he fled from them what? Naked. Now, Jesus warned his followers. Jesus said this. He said, 
I'm coming soon. You're not going to know when it is. It's going to be unexpected like a thief. But Jesus said, blessed is he that watcheth and what? Keeps his garments. See, it's assumed that you already have a garment. Does that make sense? In other words, you've given your life to Jesus. You've asked him to forgive your sins. That's not the part that the Bible's talking about. This is a message for God's people at the end of time. And the end of time message is not, hey, are you already a Christian? That's not the message. The message is make sure that you hold on, that you keep holding on to the experience and the relationship with Jesus that I gave you. Does that make sense? Today I was driving. Today I was driving from Westchester to Pottstown because I make that drive every morning. And I got to Exton. And at Exton, I don't know if you know where, maybe some of you won't know, but there's a Whole Foods in Exton. And there's this five-lane or four-lane, like, road right in front of it. And I was driving uh, in the left lane. And a car pulled from exiting from Whole Foods. It cut all the way across like five five lanes into the turn lane. And it literally cut right in front of me and in another car, and we all stopped. And, you know, I'm not going to hide this from you. I tend, to, when I get, you know, when I'm driving, I tend to be kind of an aggressive driver, okay? <laughs> Let me just say it like that. Okay, anyway, the, the point is that I almost, like, I thought to myself, like, and I thought of all these things to say, and you know, but in the end, I realized, like, and, and, you know, of course it's Sabbath and I have to go preach. But I thought to myself, like, Lord, if I'm a real Christian, it's got to show up even when I'm driving. Does that make sense? It's got to show up even when I'm driving. And, folks, I want to challenge you because we start the day off every day and God covers us in his righteousness. Does that make sense? That, that's not the hard part. The hard part is keeping it through the whole day. Are you with me? It's when, you know, you, you're, you're driving and, and, and the, the car cuts you off or it's when you get home and, and, you know, the food is not ready or it's burnt or, you know, someone at work is, is in a bad mood. It's when all of these things come together, that's when you have to say, Lord, please help me to be a Christian. Please help me to be a Christian. Help me to keep the righteousness that you gave me. By the way, you know, I think it was a few months ago, Gen Z told us that she worked for customer service. I'm going to tell you right now, if there's any job that is probably really hard to, to be a Christian, it's customer service. But look, folks, if, look, if God helps us, we can do it. Amen? If God helps us, we can do it. And that's my challenge for us today as a church. As Jesus is getting ready to come, every day you have to practice keeping the garment. You have to watch. You have to keep it. And when Jesus comes, if you're faithful and if you've been practicing this, when all of the things start to collapse around us, you'll have already been in the state of mind that, Lord, I'm walking with you. With your help, I'm going to keep my garment. Amen? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, we know that soon there will be cataclysmic judgments being poured out on the earth. We know that you are coming soon. So help us to watch and help us to keep our garments. Thank you that your righteousness covers us. And I know that 
all of us in here, we've all sinned. But thank you that Jesus provides his perfect life, not only to stand in our past, but also to live in us, to help us live right. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.